Hello, good afternoon, Michael Wynn, Chief Digital Officer of Digital Ops, a division of RB Oppenheim Associates. Welcome to the Digital Marketing Podcast and video series where we talk about digital marketing strategies and tactics to help grow your business. I'm super excited to have the number one Raiders fan of all time on the show, Mr. Brad Williams from Web Dev Studios. Brad, welcome to the show. Thank you for your time. Yeah, glad to be here. Thanks for having me, Michael. And I, you know, I'm a big Raiders fan, number one fan. I don't, I don't know. I've seen some of those guys that faces painted with the spikes in the black hole, you know, at the end zone. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Probably not listening to me. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Well, I see you got your Batman gear on, so you you, you definitely. I know you've got a a, a secret identity, um, it, probably in your closet there. But you know, um, we talked a little bit before we got on the show, um, just kind of some of the beginnings of Web Dev Studios, how you guys got started. Uh, you know, the fact that you've grown to a team of of, of around forty. Uh, folks that are that have their hands on the mouse and and are producing really incredible work for brands like Microsoft and um, you know MTV Campbell Soup throughout the years, um, just doing some incredible things. And and one of the most interesting things that I find out that I found out about your company, and one of the reasons why I was so excited to have you as a guest on the show, is that your team is 100% remote. Meaning you, none of your people meet together in a traditional agency brick and mortar uh, building. How in the world did you do that, man? <laughs> Those are uh, great questions. Definitely glad to be here. So, like you said, I I, I founded a company called Web Dev Studios back in two thousand eight, um, so a little over a decade ago, and. Um, I actually uh, founded it with a friend of mine um, out in New Jersey, and, and one of the challenges we had early on, um, obviously very kind of traditional coffee table startup, like no real money or clients, or honestly really even a great plan. Like it's a little bit crazy now that I, I think back about it, but um, one of the challenges being that we are in the Jersey Shore area was actually finding talent because you know we're with the shore; it's more of a beach town. Um, very busy during the summer for vacations and like a ghost town in the winter. Like there wasn't a lot of local talent essentially. And you had Philly and New York nearby. So that's where, you know, everybody wanted to work in the bigger cities. Right. Um, so very early on, we hired a few local people and kind of started getting off the ground. But very early on, we realized um, if we want to grow this company to be successful, we need to start looking at people that don't live here because the people we're looking for do not live here. So, um, kind of got forced into it a little bit. Um, it wasn't really a, a conscious plan of we want to be remote from day one. It just is kind of how it worked out when we needed to grow. Um, and we started hiring. You can imagine 10 years ago, you know, the tools weren't the same. We were, um, we were using like IRC, you know, for chat rooms, which, you know, if, if you've used IRC, like it works, but it's not great. You know, um, I think, I think we're using Skype at the time for calls. Right. Right. It's just, it just wasn't, you know, it wasn't what it is today. So, um, but it was working for us. Like we started to find the right people. We started to figure out how to make this remote thing work. Um, you know, back then there weren't as many companies. There were a few that we were kind of looking up to and, and seeing how they were doing things, but not as many. We had to explain to clients like, they're like, yeah, we'll come to your office, sit down. I'm like, well, we don't have an office. We can meet at Starbucks or something, but 
nowadays it's just like, oh, they, oh, you're one of those companies, and we move on. Like that's the response. So um, it's evolved quite a bit in ten years, but um, yeah, that's kind of how we got into it, and it just snowballed from there. Well, you know, I think that uh, you know one of the things that we are seeing as a trend is the gig economy, which you know, when when some people may not be familiar with that term. Uh, the word gig coming from uh, sort of those jazz musicians of the 20s who would go out after, you know, putting in a full day's work, um, you know, at, at their corporate gig, would go out and, and you know, play their instrument, their, their talent or their asset, if you will, uh, and, and earn money. And, and that's the, the term gig economy was coined from that. And now here we are, uh, you know, almost a century later, uh, and you've got, you know, individuals who are, you know, really leveraging their talents, their giftings, their abilities, their uh, assets, whether it's their vehicle for, you know, Uber or whether it's their house for Airbnb, whether it's their laptop because they are a graphic designer or, you know, if it's their computer because they... Uh, you know, understand uh, HTML, PHP, and and uh, you know WordPress as a content management system, and they're building websites, uh, you know, for friends and family after hours. But at the end of the day, the numbers are in 2019, a little over 30 percent of the entire American workforce is powered by the gig economy. It's insane. When you look at the numbers as they predict what we're going to see in 2020. That number is going to grow to over 40%. And I think that that disruption, as we've seen it in the last, gosh, two to three years, I mean, you walk into Walmart today and, and like there's no cashiers. It's just you just go and you just scan your stuff and you swipe and you're done. Or you just order online and you pull up to the little curb. And, you know, they bring it out or you go to the little kiosk and get your key and you get it out of the bin. Like our, the way we buy and sell and consume stuff is rapidly changing. And the way we run our businesses is being impacted. And the fact that you guys began, like you said, I think, you know, because the maybe the talent pool in your area didn't have the right talent uh, to to you know, employ the workforce that you needed, you had to go into a remote. And I think that for companies who have a who have brick and mortar, who want to grow their business, but don't want to grow the building, I hope they're listening to this episode because I think you can find some real value out of what Brad's going to share about lessons learned along the way in growing his remote team and, and Brad, I mean, you know, we kind of talked about it before we got on the air, you know, what, when you were building that team, like, how, how did you, like, I know the number one thing that, that a, an owner or a business, you know, um, you know, owner operator is going to think like, if we don't have butts and chairs, how are we going to be sure that they're actually doing their job? Like, how are we going to trust them? Right. And that, and that's the key, right? Trust. Um, and that's the one thing I always go back to. So um, ultimately you want to do your best to vet and interview and find the people you feel are going to fit best with your company, can do the work that you expect them to do. But at the end of the day, there has to be a certain level of trust. And if that's not there, 
it would never work. But I always like to kind of, you know, share the analogy because I, I do talk to a lot of business owners that have that traditional brick and mortar. I have friends that run agencies. They're all in the same, you know, they're all in one office together. Um, and I have friends in, that are in like the hybrid stage, which is what we're seeing more and more, and which is probably the people you're talking to would probably tend to go towards where it's more of a hybrid. They're not just going to close their office and say, we're remote now. They're going to start hiring remote employees and be a hybrid model. Um, but ultimately, it comes down to trust, right? It's it's really no different than – I don't think it's that different. That it, It's obviously different, but I don't think it's as different as most people think of being in the same building together. Because honestly, like as a manager, as an executive, um, as anyone who's managing people, ultimately, you have to give them a set of tasks that you expect them to do, and they have to get them done, right? But you're not sitting behind them all day long. You're not sitting behind their chair looking over their shoulder eight hours a day making sure they're working. If you are, you got – bigger problems, I think. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, it's got to be tough to run a successful company, but you're really not doing that, right? So we're doing a lot of the same things you would be doing. We are, uh, one of my favorite quotes is trust, but verify, right? We trust our team to do the job that we give them, to do the tasks we give them, to execute what we expect in the given day or given week or given month. Um, and then we verify based on what they produce. And that what they produce is what we're actually um, tracking them. If you're producing and you're getting your work done, then then there are no concerns. Now, if I trust someone and they start to miss deadlines um, or the work shows up and it's sloppy um, and they start to see red flags, immediately, you know, there's a problem. So you really just got to have some processes in place to make sure that you're validating just like you would if you were in the same building together, you would still be requesting the same information. Okay, this is the task I gave you today. You completed it. What what did I expect to get from that? What kind of report or, or, you know, how did I expect to measure that as being successful or not? You're doing the same thing remotely. You're probably just going to be using different tools. So it's really not that far off. It's just a little bit different uh, mindset I think you need to be in. Yeah, I think that that's interesting. And I, on the client side, um, you know, some of the lessons that you've learned in working with clients when it comes to projects that you're working on, the fact that you don't have, you know, a brick and mortar uh, building, what 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 things have you just seen? Like we have got to have this in place, and to make sure that they feel comfortable in the relationship, we feel comfortable in what our expectations are and what we're going to deliver. Like, what have you seen? Uh, how how's that grown? Sure. So, um, like I mentioned early on, you know, it's a little bit confusing for clients because they weren't familiar with companies that work remote. It was kind of an, you know, 10 years ago, there's sure there were remote companies, but it wasn't as commonplace as it is now. Whereas now they're like, okay, well, you're just one of those companies, no problem. Um, a lot of it, you know, one is a little bit of an education, but it's really around communication. Um, and since we're remote, I feel like we really preach of being overly to over communicate, right? Because we're remote, we're not sitting in a room together necessarily around a conference table or whiteboards. Um, so we tend to over communicate and we want to make sure we have that transparency with our clients. Um, a good example of this, and, and you know, you talk about kind of bumps along the road, which all companies have them um, and things you got to work through is when you're, when we were uh, smaller and starting out, we we're just so eager to get projects on the door and to work and to get some cash flow coming into the company so we could survive that um, we wanted to get moving forward as quickly as possible. So we take on projects with very loose scope spec, um, very high level kind of this is what we're going to build, bullet point list that didn't really get into the details of exactly how things are going to work. Um, and then we go build it and come back and bring it to the client and say, here you go, look at this amazing thing we built. And 
and they would say, well, what is this? This isn't what I wanted. You know, our, our, uh, their expectations and our expectations were misaligned. Um, and we quickly realized we had to spend more time up front to really make sure we're getting all of those details so that we're a hundred percent aligned with our client. And then the way we stay aligned is through constant communication. So rather than disappearing for a month or two or three to do the project and come back, you know, we're doing weekly calls, sometimes even more. We have our clients in GitHub. We have our clients in our project management tools. We're demoing what we're building. We're showing them everything along the way. So that way, if something is off from what they're expecting, we can quickly identify it, regroup, reset, and then move forward versus waiting to the end and realize the thing we built is 100% off, you know, outside of what they're expecting. And now what do you do? Now you have this massive point of friction of you spend all this time building something and they don't want it. You know, that's a serious problem. Um, and not, not, not one that successful companies will be able to do over and over again. You need to figure that out. So that's an area. And a lot of it is just communication, which is at the core of what we're doing anyways, being a remote company. Yeah. Yeah. I like the analogy uh, you used before we got on the show, similar to how you would hire a, a contractor to build your house. You know, um, I can imagine those bullet points are, we're going to build a kitchen. We're going to build a dining room. We're going to build two bathrooms and we're going to have a living room. And they're like, yes, that's what I need. And then you build it and you show it to them. And they're like, where's, where's, where's the, uh, you know, where's the see-through uh, skylight in the bathroom that I thought we were getting, you know? <laughs> and you're like, yeah, yeah. I, you didn't say anything about a skylight in the bathroom. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it's a great analogy. I love comparing what we do to like building houses because it, my, one of my favorites, I had a tweet about this that, that went a little bit viral, but, you know, people come to us all the time and say, I want to build a website. How much money? And I'm like, great. Yeah, we can help with that. What type of website? And they're like, I just I just want to know how much. And I'm like, you wouldn't do that when you're building a house. Like <laughs> you said, yeah, we want a house. Great. How much is the house going to cost? I don't know. Like, <laughs> type of house do you want? What's going to be in the house? How big a house are we talking here? So, um, there's a lot of similarities. You know, it's it's like you ever watch like Property Brothers or something. They tear the wall down. There's asbestos. They didn't know asbestos was going to be there. That's a change order. You stop. You pause. You talk about what happened. You fix it. You move forward. That's resetting expectations because something unknown came up that neither side could have prepared for. So there's a lot of great analogies I think between the two. Yeah, something else that you mentioned that I think, uh, you know, we would be remiss in, in not talking about because, you know, you and I may take it for granted that Slack is a great uh, tool that a lot of folks are using, um, you know, all the different project management, uh, you know, um, platforms that are out there, whatever, monday.com or, you know, uh, whatever your, your, your tool of choice is. But you know, tell me, I mean, I, I think obviously, you know, no different than if you were going to expand the building and you need infrastructure uh, to be able to handle capacity and, and employees and, and, you know, bandwidth and, and workforce and accountability. Like, obviously, there are some tools for success. Well, how do you see that playing a role in, in remote teams? Yeah, so um, there are definitely a lot of great tools out there, and they certainly evolved from you know when we started, which is great. So things like Slack, which is kind of the one, the obvious one, the one most people are familiar with. Um, I mentioned I have friends that run brick and mortar agencies; they're all using Slack. You know, They'll, they'd rather Slack somebody than you know drop them a DM rather than walk down the hallway and ask <laughs> them the same question. You know, so they're kind of working remote already, even though they're living next to each other, um, in a sense. You know, so Slack's Slack's the the biggie. 
Uh, we use Zoom a lot for video calls as well. We like to see each other because, again, we're not in the same office. So if we have communication, we can look at each other. We can see each other. Uh, we like to see our clients. Our clients like to see us. It kind of you know has that sense of, uh, again, of being in the room. But I think the most important thing and something we're always evaluating is you know, having the right tools in place, but also getting out of the way, right? Like you don't want to over-engineer the tools you're using, the communication processes you have, uh, because then ultimately nobody's getting anything done because they're so focused on the tools rather than the actual work that we had to get done at the end of the day. So is one that we're, us like many others, I think are evaluating how best to use Slack because it's obviously a real-time communication tool, but that is not always a thing, right? If developer is deep into like debugging a problem on a really complex website and they're an hour or two into tracing this thing down and I start pinging them directly on the Slack like they completely lose their focus. Now they have to address, you know, respond to me. Maybe just tell me like they're busy, but even that is a is a, a break in concentration. It's no different than you sitting at your desk, Michael, and somebody comes up and you're in the middle of debugging something. Someone comes up and wants to talk about the, the terrible Raiders loss over the weekend, right? Like you've just concentrated and now you have to reset. Sometimes that can add 30 minutes, an hour, even more, who knows, to that thought process. So it's finding the tools, but figuring out the best way to... Uh, tool to be um, used in success of the company, but also to get a bit out of the way. And I think those constant notifications are something like we're evaluating other companies are too. Like maybe we change the way Slack because it can be a bit of a distraction at times. So, yeah, no, I think that's right. And uh, I apologize. I think our uh, our voice VOIP is uh, broke up just a little bit. Uh, so I apologize to the listeners for a little bit of choppiness there, but. You know, I think that at the end of the day, you're right that, and, and you said this earlier when we got on the air, and I think it's worth repeating, you know, you're going to have that point where you get to that growth and you like, you decide, you know what, this is, this is feels right. You know, we're, we can, we can grow, maybe we grow deeper and not, you know, go from 40 to 80 um, and, and being able to recognize the processes that you have in place, are they scalable and do you want to scale them? And I think that's an interesting conversation to have. Um, You know, as I mentioned before, uh, a good friend of mine uh, runs her own accounting business and she realized very early that, you know, hey, I'm going to work with, um, you know, businesses that are service-based businesses and that's the kind of accounting work that I'm going to do. And I'm not going to take on other kinds of accounting work. And there's lots of accounting out there um, for her to do. But, you know, she's like, I don't want to work with inventory. I don't want to work with those other kinds of accounting-based systems. I want to stick with, uh, you know, service-based business. And you guys have really decided, hey, we're going to stick with WordPress. This is our, this is our specialty. And, um, and so how do you, how do you see that as, as, you know, recognizing growth and then recognizing, Hey, we're good where we're at. Yeah. Um, it's a good question. I think anybody that's building a business, you know, they need to sit down and I don't think it's a question that you can easily answer on day one. Um, some people may be right. Like when we sat down and started this company, I didn't have a five or 10 year plan for the company. I had a, like, let's make sure we're still here tomorrow plan <laughs> next month. It was very like scrappy, you know? Uh, but as things start to work, and you start to grow, then you're going to have those questions because at some point you're going to have a great problem. My favorite problem to have 
is when you're fully booked. Awesome problem to have, right? You're fully booked, can't take on any more work. What do you do? You can do a couple of different things. You could hire, you could hire more, which means grow your team, grow your company so that you have more bandwidth for work. You could raise your rates, you know? So say, look, I'm, I'm happy at this, you know, five person company size. I'm going to raise my rates. I have so much coming in the door. I don't know what to do with it. So I'm going to start charging more. Um, or you can just start booking out further. Like, you know, we can't start for a couple months, you know, all, all very good problems to have. Right. But those are the questions you have to start asking yourself is, am I comfortable at this size? Do I want to continue to grow? You know, we grew to around 30 to 40 people. Um, and we've been at that size for probably a good four or five years now. And we put processes in place and obviously we're always continuing to improve them, but we have a really solid set of processes in terms of how we work the project from the second a client or, you know, potential lead reaches out to us all the way through launch and ongoing support um, that we've built over the years that works very, very well with our size of a, a, a company. Um, it wouldn't have, the processes would be way too much if we were five or 10 people. Um, and they probably wouldn't be enough if we were a hundred people. Hmm. No, like I've seen companies that scale so fast, maybe they get funding or something else, but the scale so fast, they assume their processes will just grow with them and they don't. And all of a sudden the, that house of cards starts to get shaky and maybe even topples over because processes for a 40 person company need to be different than a hundred or 200 person company or a thousand person company. So it's something to consider when you grow, you really need to look at the full picture of, okay, if we do want to go and get bigger, what needs to change to accommodate that and try to get ahead of it as best you can. And on the flip side, I know some really successful companies that are two or three people, you know, and they don't want to grow. They're very happy with where they're at. They make, you know, they do good money. They make great money, good projects, um, doing awesome things. And they're very comfortable at that size. And that's awesome. You know, I know freelancers like that, again, booked out for months, charging top dollar, charging more than agencies in some in some cases. And they're very content and doing amazing work. So I think it's really, it's not, don't, don't worry about what other people are doing. Just figure out what you want to do. You and your, your company and your partners. Um, and then be laser focused on that. Yeah. Yeah. I like it. Well, obviously we're, we're, you know, two passionate WordPress developers having a, uh, a conversation. And so I think we would be remiss if we didn't talk about uh, what does the future of WordPress look like? And, you know, if we look at, okay, if Matt, you know, started WordPress and, and we look at 2003 as sort of the, you know, the birth date and, and you almost have to think of that. Okay, well, that's about 17 years, which is that would make WordPress like it's senior year in high school, which means next year WordPress is going to college. Holy cow. Things are about to get crazy. So what do you think is the future of WordPress? Yeah, it's a great question. One I get asked quite a bit. Um, you know, WordPress is is like nothing we've really seen before on the web. It's a dominant platform, like insanely dominant. One third of the internet is is honestly a tough number to wrap your head around. Um, at least for me, anyways, it's a big number. You know, um, so yeah, sure, we've seen technologies that are dominant, like Flash and others, but you know, not a platform like WordPress, like a CMS that's powering so many actual sites. So it's uncharted territory, right? But some of the trends we're seeing, um, headless is definitely gaining steam. Um, the headless approach of, you know, use WordPress to manage your content for your publishing pipeline and essentially to work and publish your content. Um, and then that content would push into some API or third-party system um, um, and then push out to maybe a front-end like React uh, Next.js layer, something like that, where the basically the back-end and front-end are completely separated. Um, that is a great 
um, set up for, we, we work with some really large media companies. Um, you know, these are, you know, these are like billion dollar media companies and they have massive publishing platforms, massive newsrooms, and they're using WordPress in this way where, you know, the focus of what we work on is all the back end, getting all the, you know, publishing pipeline and workflow in place and, and how they integrate with images and videos and all of that stuff in place. And then it pushes via, into an API, into a, another system. And once it's in that system and everything, all the checks pass and everything says, yep, that content's exactly what we expect. WordPress is done. We're done. And at that point, that system's in charge of pushing and pulling data wherever it needs to go. You know, the desktop app, the, the, the all the various mobile apps, you know, the Kindle app, like every place that that content needs to be pushed is handled by that system. So it works very well for these, you know, massive media companies because it's, um, it helps them with that disconnect and with how large they are. So, um, another area we're seeing kind of, you know, I think lends itself really well to kind of the small mid-sized market, at least as of today, is, is the um, the static approach. So things like Gatsby, which I'm sure a number of your listeners have heard of, which is takes a, a dynamic site like WordPress, doesn't have WordPress, but in this case, WordPress, um, and essentially generates a static site out of it. So straight up like 20 years ago, website with just raw HTML, um, basic styling, literal static files, you know, and the major benefit of that is certainly around performance. Um, there's also some, you know, certainly security aspects to it as well, but performance is kind of the big win, right? You have a, a fully static site. It's going to load as fast as it can possibly load. Right. So, mm. um, that's one we're seeing gain more steam. Um, I think there is a bit more of an educational, um, learning curve there for on the client side because they're not as familiar with some of the benefits or what that actually means, how that actually works. But, I love it for things like marketing sites, landing pages, you know, really kind of just content sites. It's beautiful. So I think that's another trend that's gaining steam. I think it's going to continue to grow um, and more people get involved with that. So it's really like letting WordPress do what it does best, which is work with the content. And then it's kind of these changes in how the front end works rather than just throwing on a theme and activating it and, you know, tweaking it and launching it that way. Um, it's doing different things on the front end with how the WordPress data is being displayed. Nice. You know, and I think the, uh, again, when you have a, a CMS that is, is powering a third of the internet, it goes without saying that, that it's going to have the biggest target on its back. And, and we all know that, you know, the, the, uh, the knock or, or the question mark on WordPress is security and, and, you know, vulnerability. And, you know, at, at the end of the day, the most common thing it doesn't have to do with WordPress itself. It has to do with the fact that you have a business that hires a, a firm or an agency to build the site and they build it and forget it, you know, and, you know, and so they leave plugins out of date. Their theme is out of date. They, they don't update the core WordPress. They use weak passwords. I mean, all the like you might as well just leave your front door unlocked and your sliding glass door without, you know, the little kick wedge like. You just take all that out. That's basically what you're doing. So, you know, I think that as as we continue to move forward and and people really understand and, and are better educated that, hey, WordPress is one of the most secure platforms that are out there. And you said it yourself, like you have Microsoft running their core, you know, blog platform and some of these other powerhouse, you know, platforms and, and publishers, you know, do you think they're going to risk a compromise of their site? No. So I think that that businesses, individuals, freelancers can 
feel safe and feel confident that WordPress is a great platform to uh, to push and to represent your business. Brad, this has been an incredible show, man. Thank you so much for uh, you know giving us your time, sharing with the listeners and watchers of the show some of the lessons that you've learned in growing a uh, a powerhouse remote team. And uh, good luck to you and the Las Vegas Raiders. <laughs> yeah, thank you. This has been great, Michael. The one the one plug I'll say is um, if you're listening and want to learn more, we have a really active blog on our site, webdevstudios.com slash blog. We talk about a lot of different things. We talk about technologies, but you also talk about working remotely. Um, our director of PMO just put out a great post, like how to you know managing remote teams. Um, so we're, we have a lot of really good content and like lessons learned, tools we use, processes and things like that. So if you're interested in that, go to our blog. We have tag like the remote tag that you can kind of filter for that stuff. Um, check it out. I mean, we're passionate about it because it works so well for us and so many people are getting into it now. It's, it's fun to talk about. So take a look at the blog and even more uh, good juicy nuggets to, to uncover there. Absolutely. Well, guys, thank you so much. Once again, my name is Michael Wynn. I am the Chief Digital Officer of Digital Ops a division of RB Oppenheim Associates. Thanks for tuning in. Have yourself a great weekend. Brad, we'll catch you next time, buddy. All right. Thanks, Michael.